Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones, and he's back. <coughs> and he's hopefully not sick. <laughs> and you're watching AM to DM. That was a dramatized cough, but there might be real ones later. <laughs> How are you feeling, buddy? How are you? Uh... You know, listen, I am back, America. Uh, like I would, <laughs> like every third person in the city of New York, your girl is sick. Yeah, we got man. some hand sanitizer here, please, baby. Please. Um, yeah, I. I usually am able to avoid like the flu, but I I, I think I got it this time. Mm-hmm. I, it was like the body aches, like where like you can't sleep because your body hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like dragged myself um, outside to go to the store to get some medicine, and I realized I had a fever because it was like twenty degrees, if that. And I was walking with my coat open, just like okay, that <laughs> let the that, air. That probably didn't help yeah. so much. But how did it feel? You're a poet. Use some words. Paint a picture for us. Uh, how, how bad did it get on the couch? It was, <laughs> It was pretty gross. Pretty gross. Shout out to my friend Ben, who definitely FaceTimed me while I was just like covered in <laughs> snot and like disgusting. Uh, real trust fall there. Um, it was bad. I mean, like crazy fever dreams. Your dreams are crazy mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you're like on all the medication and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. The coughing, you know, whatever. Uh, uh. Did you, let me ask you this. How did you get over it? Do you have any kind of go-to home care, home I mean, remedy? when I sleep. Okay. I sleep. Like, and, and yesterday I woke up at a normal time, but the day before yesterday, I tweeted this, I woke up at 2.40 p.m. On, like, uninterrupted. Wow. I slept that long. Like, That's um, a lot like, of uh, sleeping. I guess I needed it. Um, but the other thing is, I, I get a lot of anxiety. I, I, I feel guilty when I get sick. That's um, Because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm letting down my coworkers. Like, I should have taken better care of myself. So I was doing a lot of, like, positive messaging walking around my apartment. Sounded like a frog, like, it's okay, Saeed. <laughs> you got this. Every- Just sit down on the couch, you'll be okay. You, you know, gotta be was- easy. If your body's taking you down, you at yeah. least mentally gotta be yeah. easy on yourself. I like that. Your home care, your, your like home remedy is self-care. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I'm sorry, I'm still rubbing my hands. Yeah. I realize I put Did way too, too much, much of this hand stuff Yeah. <laughs> my theory is I was like, well, you know, guilt definitely isn't going to make you feel better. So there we are. So timeline, we're gonna take it to you. Uh, uh, what is your remedy for getting over a cold? Uh, let us know using the hashtag wash your hands. Yeah, and please let us know because I might need it soon. I'm, yeah. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's get into this news though. This morning, BuzzFeed Deputy World News Editor Matthew Champion tweeted In the last six weeks, Theresa May has seen her government held in contempt of parliament in a historic first, faced the confidence vote into her own leadership, suffered the worst ever UK government defeat in history but she's still likely to win tonight's confidence vote. Everything is fine, children. Well, our man in London, BuzzFeed UK political correspondent, Alex Spence, joins us now. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, guys. Oh my God, you must be from the UK. You have a tie on. Oh, I'm just so disturbed by this. Okay, let's start here, Alex. Uh, Where does Theresa May go from here? Well, the first thing uh, is tonight, uh, our time, she's facing a, a vote of no confidence. Uh, so we had an amazing night last night when her Brexit deal was voted down in, in what we think is the biggest defeat in uh, British parliamentary history. And immediately the leader of the opposition said, well, you, your government is, is finished. You can't get your, your most important policy through. So now we have to have a vote on whether you should remain the government. And we're going to get that tonight. Uh, MPs are expected to vote at about 7 o'clock our time. I think that's about 2 p.m. Uh, your time there on the East Coast. And she is expected to survive, though. She is is expected to survive. I mean, that might seem uh, strange given that so many of her MPs turned against her last night to vote down her her main policy. Uh, But now party politics 
uh, come into play. So uh, under the, the system, um, the opposition would have to get a majority of the MPs in the House of Commons to vote with them to remove the government, and uh, and the government with its uh, with its um, uh, parliamentary allies from Northern Ireland, the Democratic Unionist Party, um, they should be able to get the numbers uh, to survive this vote. So. Uh, MPs who rebelled against her yesterday uh, because they didn't want her Brexit deal are going to come back and rally behind her today and say, well, we we don't want another general election because we're afraid of losing our seats. We're afraid that maybe the opposition would take over and then we would uh, get a, a total change of policy, which we don't want. So they're going to come back on side uh, for a day and then uh, presumably the day after we'll go back to, um, to, to the factions and the fighting again. Okay, the factions and fighting yet again. So I, I was listening to um, a bit of footage of Theresa May responding to the vote, and she said, listen, this vote doesn't tell us anything about what people want, and there were a lot of boos and, you know, pox on your house and everything from the MPs. How... Can you help us understand, like, the scale of the defeat, though? Like, I mean, we know it's bad. We know this is all very confusing. But when we say this was a historic defeat, can you contextualize that? Well, uh, it's the worst defeat that, 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 that there has been. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was 230 votes against. That was, uh, that was in excess of, of the worst predictions that I was seeing uh, yesterday. Um, you know, there were some people saying that it could be, uh, it could be 200 votes. Um, I think the government were hoping, uh, you know, certainly they were expecting they were going to lose that. Everybody was expecting they were going to lose but they were hoping that maybe they would get uh, fewer than 100 uh, and then they would be able to peel off some of those rebels and um, put the screws on, maybe put it back for another vote um, uh, and, and eventually squeak it through. Uh, but the vote went against them by such a big margin that it's hard to see now how they're going to they're get that down. Um, so that really does... Uh, throw things up in the air. Uh, it's very, very uncertain now how they're going to get any kind of consensus. This is incredible to me because yesterday you were telling us, Alex, how things were uncertain yesterday, and now you're like, whoo, you yes. thought yesterday was bad. Things are even more incredibly uncertain now. I want, so you're, Britain's a mess, but I want to ask about this. How are things going on the EU side of things? Are they mm. just sitting there feeling smug? Is this good for them, bad for them? Well, I mean, it's not good for them, right? Because they want a deal. They spend a long time negotiating this deal with uh, with Theresa May, and they want to get a deal. They don't want us to to crash out without a deal. Because um, whilst you know that that's probably going to be worse for us, depending on who you believe, it's it's also not good for them. So they do want to get a deal. Um, there are people in Westminster who say, "Well, now Theresa May has to go back to Brussels and say, look, this just isn't going to fly. You now have to.'" meet me um, halfway and you guys have got to concede more. And at the moment they're saying, no, we're not going to do that. The deal is the deal. Uh, so they're holding the line for the time being. All right, holding the line. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Right, and I You're most welcome. I Thanks, guys. I have to cough right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. I was trying to hold in so much. I'm so I sorry. Hold in so much. Okay, let's take it to the timeline. Americans, um, any <laughs> advice for the UK in these troubling times and for our viewers across the pond? Uh, 
Any advice for us? Dare you offer advice? Let us know <laughs> using the hashtag, who are we to judge? It's really prayers up all around. Prayers up. Prayers up on prayers both up. sides of the Atlantic. Glass countries. All right, well, uh, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Paul McLeod. Hello, I wrote this piece about Lindsey Graham. Is he still the bipartisan deal maker, or is he now the conservative rock star? And what's behind his turn toward Trump? Paul joins us now. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, guys. All right, to start, what was Senator Lindsey Graham's reputation prior to Trump taking office? Well, he was always seen as one of the big bipartisan guys in the Senate. Uh, he worked towards a big immigration deal that he could never ultimately get passed, but he was always one of the people at the center of that. Uh, he pushed back in the Republican Party about excessive hatred of Obama. He voted for Obama's Supreme Court nominees. I mean, in short, whenever there was uh, an issue where Republicans and Democrats needed to get together, and work together to reach a deal, he was always, or usually, part of that, that crew. Yeah, and of course he was also very vocal about the Republican Party was really gonna pay the price if they got behind Trump, and we saw how that has turned out. Huge, yeah, huge critic of Trump. I mean, the, the, in writing this piece, I was going through some of his old comments. I mean, he literally said that if uh, the, Demo the Republican Party embraced Trump and Trump's approach to the border wall, that it would be the death of the party. And now, well, yeah. things have changed. Things have changed. So here we are in early 2019. Um, look at that, early 2019. Um, and people are going so far as, I think sometimes it's joking. And sometimes I don't think people are joking when they, you know, kind of opine about um, Lindsey Graham perhaps being blackmailed. There are questions, of course, about sexuality. I'm not going to honor that. But also like Russia conspiracy things. So how does this come into the picture for Lindsey Graham? Yeah, I mean, as you say, his transformation is so stark. So for those who don't pay a lot of attention, I mean, Lindsey Graham, uh, now a big defender of the president and has, has more or less reversed everything he said about Trump, uh, <clears throat> now is urging the Republican Party to stand behind the president to fight for the border wall. He's even encouraging the president to just circumvent Congress and declare a state of emergency and build the wall on his own. And yeah, so this is, <clears throat> pardon me, led to all kinds of theories of like what's going on, including people saying Russia is blackmailing Graham or Trump is blackmailing Graham. But in looking at it, I think the much more logical explanation is that Lindsey Graham is doing this for very sensible reasons. I mean, he comes from South Carolina. It's a very Republican state. Republican voters, like north of 80% of them approve of the job that Trump is doing. And the thing about Lindsey Graham for all of his deal making is it made him vulnerable to a primary challenger from the right. He could always win a general election, but could he win the primary? Would Republican voters uh, want someone who was more, seen as more conservative than him? And by cozying up to the president, he's basically put those fears to bed. He's now as popular in South Carolina as he's ever been. Okay, so maybe not going to face uh, anybody running against him in his home state. What about in Washington, D.C.? How is his strategy working out for him there? Well, I will say, as much as it has been uh, great for him in the home state, and it's worth noting, I mean, Lindsey Graham is kind of a survivor story. If you look at the Republican Never Trump crew, they have not fared well over the last two years or so. They've lost primary challenges. We've seen a lot of people like Jeff Flake and Senator Bob Corker just walk away rather than try to fight a primary challenge uh, when they know Trump's going to be against them. And Lindsey Graham's as strong as he's ever been. He's head of the Senate uh, uh, Judiciary Committee now. Uh, he's, he's pretty much locked in for his re-election in 2020. But the flip side is he's definitely, I don't know if I'd go as far as poisoned, but certainly strained 
his relationship with Democrats that he had used so often to make these deals. And talking to a lot of Democrats, they would say, you know, one guy said to me, uh, it, it, it's like the Lindsay I knew for years disappeared and his twin brother showed up. I mean, it's just like the theories that this guy got a taste of being a conservative rock star. And now the Democrats are saying they, they essentially don't recognize him and they don't know if the old Lindsay's going to come back and they don't know what the working relationship is going to be like moving on. Moving forward. Well, thank you so much for the piece, Paul, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Also, uh, we don't have time to go deep on this next story, but you know what I also don't have time for, Isaac? And what do you not have time Homophobia. For? Oh, yeah. Ain't got time for that That's bullshit. That's right. HuffPost reporter Rebecca Klein tweeted, Karen Pence got a job this week at a private school, but her school makes job applicants sign pledge against homosexuality, transgender identity, and any violation of the, quote, unique roles of male and female. And Klein had an update. The school also bans LGBTQ students. In a parent agreement document, parents are to acknowledge that condoning, practicing, or supporting sexual immorality, homosexual activity, or bisexual activity goes against the school. We're tweeting um, Rebecca Klein's story out now. I hope you all read it, uh, share it. Uh, we have to talk about this just, just for a bit. Um, when I was growing up um, in high school, first of all, you know, Matthew Shepard was killed when Isaac and I were in middle school, basically, 1998. That was a formative event. And I point that out because when you are a student, when you are a child, we don't get to choose the families we're born into. And students very rarely get to choose what schools their families send them to, right? Um, you are under, you know, under the influence of, of the adults who are making these decisions. So to have the second lady of the United States of America make the decision to go back to the school she used to teach there, now she's returning. She's communicating her value. She's communicating. She's modeling, you know, what she believes the future of education in America should look like. And it's very, very disturbing um, for the students, for the teachers who are closeted. And I just saw such a beautiful, eloquent tweet I wanted to read from Chase Strangio. Chase tweeted, I would rather my kid change their sense of gender 200 times before puberty than die before they could live. Your anxiety over young kids claiming a truth of who they are is not about you. It's about you, not them, not medicine, not some grave threat. Deal with your shit and let others live. Yeah. I like, mean, listen, this is the time of conversion therapy. Yeah. Like, this is still happening in many states throughout the country. Yeah. So to have, again, like you said, she taught there for 12 years, but to have the second lady go back to teaching here, it's it's just such a chilling message. Yeah. And even, and again, like, the guidelines are not just students who identify as LGBT, but who also condone. So any kid who's like, I want to be an ally, or I think it's okay, like, those kids are made to feel terrible. And I'm going to say, listen, uh, Karen Pence, from one mother to another, okay? Your husband and his administration are totally hypocritical. And if you want to talk about family values, I think it's fair to say Donald Trump himself wouldn't be allowed to work at that school. Yeah, so. not, not, not a big uh, signing on an immorality uh, contract that way. At all. Yeah, not going to say that. Absolutely. All right, well, I'm glad we took a moment to acknowledge that story. Trash. Like Saeed said, we're tweeting it out right now. Garbage. Later this morning, we've got comedian Pete Holmes in the house, but up next... We're going to clear the air with some fire tweets. <laughs> or just burn it all down. Welcome back. We were asking you all about cold remedies, and Honey Lord said soup, Cheez-Its, ginger ale. A yeah. classic. 
I like a that. classic. I like yeah. that. I did. Uh, Katz's Deli contestant is near me, and I like to order um, matzo ball soup and latkes. Oh, okay. That's, that's not for everybody. Well, yeah, that's what it is. You're like, move to a wonderful location <laughs> where you live close to one of the best yeah. delis in the world mm-hmm. and get their matzo ball soup. You asked what healed me. I won't lie. That shit's it's good. Really, I'll probably get some more today because clearly I'm still sick. All right. <laughs> this first tweet comes from Crown. Mom, come help me get the groceries out of the car. Me? <laughs> yeah. Any shoes near the door. Any shoes will do. Anybody, here's Yours, your dad's, you your never, mom. You never commit to it. You put them half on, even That's if it's January. That's what's funny, hanging off the edge of it. Yeah, you'll do yeah. it in the flip-flops. That's, I sometimes do that to go. I still do that. Like, to go get big. Yeah, minus, I'll take, go down minus if I have to take the trash out. It's just like, oh my gosh. Because it's like, I'm not going all the way outside, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you get that little half indent on the back of your shoes. Ooh, this, I'm sorry, this tweet's too real. All right, here we go. Our own detective Sylvia O'Bell tweeted, my hot take prediction is the Super Bowl is what will end the government shutdown because the NFL is the real Illuminati and they can't afford for the Atlanta airport to be a mess like this come February. And that was in response to a wild video where the security line for the Atlanta airport was like, Hours yeah, long. Yeah, it was um, over an hour and a half long. And I say this, I, my mom lived in Atlanta for some time. I've been at the airport and just having watched the video, I was like, I've never, I've never seen that line that long. That long. So it's. Do you, like, that actually rang of truth to me. Yeah. I was like, absolutely. I could yeah, see. I mean, when I saw her, I was like, oh, interesting. I mean, you know, Trump cares about optics, mm-hmm, he cares mm-hmm. about football. My goodness, that the Super Bowl is going to be. Like, this is an interesting, and again, like, this would be really fucked up if this is what finally gets Trump to like kind of come back to the negotiating table. But like, I don't know, man. I can see this. I, we're also going to talk when we go live from the district. We're talking about Nancy Pelosi's That's move true. this morning about yeah. basically saying if he wants to do the State of the Union. So like, people are getting it. It's the optics that he's usually worried about, like you That's said. That's true. But let's take it to the timeline. What is your wild conspiracy theory that would reopen the government? Let us know using the hashtag AM. To I, the Super Bowl is a really good guess. I, it probably is going to happen. All right, this next tweet comes from Steven. <laughs> Dating as an adult is hard because even when you do meet somebody you like, there are very few opportunities to engineer a situation so that you are cast opposite one another <laughs> in a school play, <laughs> screaming. Do you ever, you ever do a school play? You ever have a crush? Um, in the ninth grade, I was cast as Macbeth. Ooh. I know. Oh, and, oh and in the ninth grade. In the ninth grade. Some senior one. And, and, yes. and my crush was, well, it was all ninth graders, and my crush was Banquo. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. The old, Did anything happen? No, there's no, like, okay. no. <laughs> the only thing I remember is, like, when there's a scene with the blood, and I, like, very dramatically, in blood, like, fake blood went all over the audience, and I thought it was incredible, and they didn't. I wish I'd hit this button sooner. <laughs> Shen the Bird tweeted, first day as a priest, guy, father, I must confess my sins. Me, what's the tea, my child? And this is what I like to see. You know what? This is what we need. Get everybody out of the Catholic Church and we should just move cool millennials in. I've seen another tweet that was a lot like, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the phrase. It's like, it be like that sometimes. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like that just, sometimes. Just It'd be like that Twitter with memes. You. We just need to update the Catholic Church just a bit. We could get rid of so many of their problems. Wow. All right. Solutions. <laughs> Isaac has them. All right. You ready for Tweet of the Day? Let's do it. Okay. It comes from Andrea Long. Andrea tweeted, no, this email does not find me well. <laughs> 
Woo! Big moon! That, Big moon! That is everybody's audio response right now. Well, listen up, coming up, I sit down with comedian Pete Holmes, but up next we are going live from the district because there's a lot going on. Shut it down. Hello, we are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Lisa Andrevia. Good morning, Lisa. All right. He Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I just jumped in. I'm really excited because I want to know what the hell's going on with the no, Nancy no, no, Pelosi no. Let's stuff. No, 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 let's do this. We're I'm in getting the right into it. Here's a tweet from Politico. <laughs> Speaker Nancy Pelosi asked President Trump to reschedule his State of the Union address or deliver it in writing as long as the government remains shut down. Lisa, how big a deal is this? It's a pretty big deal. A lot of people have been telling me that they thought that the president would actually deliver his State of the Union address still during a shutdown. Um, so it's it's kind of a big deal. It's a serious sign like, hey, the shutdown needs to end because nearly a month out, we are still in this. So, And that's not even scheduled until January 29th. So the expectation that the government shutdown may, may still be happening by then is a pretty big deal. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I just want to see what that letter would look like. I just want to see what the State of the Union written out. And Trump's not allowed, no copy editors, nobody else. I just want it as a letter. Here's my issue. Nancy Pelosi has doomed us to what was perhaps inevitable anyway, Trump live tweeting the State of the Union. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think we get it in Twitter go write no letter. I hate you sometimes. <laughs> I absolutely hate you don't be mad at me. All right, we got to get into the shutdown tea, though. The New York Times tweeted this. The shutdown's economic impact may be double previous estimates, White House economists said. I didn't know they had economists there. Uh, it could push us into contraction. So, uh, Lisa, we don't want to go back to 2018 or to 2008. 2008! I'm sorry. 2008. 2018 was bad enough, but the 2008 recession was worse. Um, how exactly could the shutdown impact the economy? Well, the, the general thesis here is that there are a lot of workers who don't have an income right now because they're furloughed at home or working without pay. And if you don't know how long the shutdown is going to go, you're trying to save every penny just to get by, right? And so that's reducing a lot of spending and having an overall effect on the economy. That New York Times report um, said that there is a White House administration official who's saying that the shutdown is causing um, a quarterly economic uh, impact of 0.13 percentage points per week every week that the shutdown goes on. And that's starting to have a cumulative effect. Uh, it's starting to have a cumulative effect. I feel like I've asked you this question so many times, Lisa, but I'm, I'm going to do it again, even with all this cumulative effect. Is there any hope, is there any look at a specific bill being passed that will reopen the government? Well, the House of, of Representatives, which is now controlled by Democrats, remember, has passed several bills saying that they can reopen the government. And some of those are options that Senate Republicans agreed to before the holidays when we were still like, oh, maybe the shutdown won't happen, whatever. They would already agreed to them. But House Democrats have provided Senate Republicans plenty of choices. Senate Republicans are saying they're not going to sign anything until uh, Trump says that he'll approve it. And Trump is buckling down on the wall. So we do have a standoff um, despite Republicans having options. Man, I was like laughing at Brexit and now here I am just eating crow. Well, here's a tweet from the AP's Darlene Superville. IRS is recalling 46,000 workers, nearly 60% of its workforce, 
from furlough to handle tax refunds without pay. Mm. So Lisa, how does the government decide who is forced to continue to work? I mean, the government gives things an official sounding um, note, but remember that everyone's sort of winging things here. Um, I actually spoke with an air traffic, uh, or to, with multiple uh, federal employees last week, and some of them were saying, you know, if you're keeping, if, if you're keeping IRS stuff uh, on track, if you're keeping the national parks open, that's sort of covering up a lot of people's day-to-day interactions with the federal government. Um, so they were concerned that people aren't actually seeing how widespread and bad this is just because some of those some of those daily interactions are still occurring even if not exactly the same way okay fair enough well here's a tweet from you lisa because we have to talk about steve king i know i've been away uh even steve king himself voted for the house bill that was supposed to reprimand him which i mean uh lisa listen uh we understand you were in the chambers yesterday ahead of the vote what was it like to see all of this unfold in person yeah, so they had to debate this resolution before they voted on it. Uh, Steve King actually went into the chamber, and you know there were lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, who were saying white supremacy is bad. And he's kind of just sitting there, you know, shuffling through um, what looked to be uh, like a copy of the resolution. You know, writing some notes. There were kids up in the gallery, you know, because they have eighth grade field trips come through sometimes. And then he, uh, Steve King, took the floor, and he said, you know, I've read this resolution very carefully. It only mentions him once, by the way, um, and doesn't actually have any punishment for him. And he's like, yep, yep, I agree that white supremacy is bad. Um, and I still think that my comments were taken out of context, but I'm going to go ahead and vote yes for this. So it was overall just a symbolic move. Overall a symbolic move. The resolution passed 424, like you said, including Steve King, to one. Lisa, who's the one? David Duke? So the one was actually a Democrat named Bobby Rush. He's from Illinois. And Bobby Rush's reasoning was that it didn't go far enough. He told reporters yesterday that the fact that Steve King voted for it shows you that the resolution wasn't, quote, worth the paper that it's written on. Um, So he's actually pushing for a censure. Um, and, and there are other Democrats who have who have told me that they would support that. There's one other Democrat who has introduced a resolution of censure, but they're basically, but Bobby Rush's reasoning was this didn't go far enough, so he gave it a no vote. Okay, and, and so that, would, that leads into my question that is this the end of this, I don't know what we would call it, but this narrative cycle uh, for Steve King, but it sounds like you're saying that there could be more trouble for him on the Hill. There definitely could be. Um, like, like I said, there are two um, resolutions of censure that have been introduced by two different lawmakers. No one's blocking those. Those could still come up. Um, and, you know, there's always the possibility that Steve King says something else, as he's shown reliably to do in the past several years. All right. Now, Lisa, this I do know. Steve King is actually your hometown rep. So just a little local reporting. Anybody in your town talking, talking about this? Have you heard from anybody back, back home? have heard. You know, I, I do think that there are, I had a number of people who are like, oh, thank goodness that they're finally doing something about him, especially since he was stripped of his committee assignments on Monday. Um, but you have to remember, this is a very conservative district. Um, so, I, you know, Steve King apparently has, has no plans to resign, at least at this point. Um, so it is a conservative district. Um, and they are excited about one, a, a Republican challenger who's already saying that he's going to come up against Steve King in the 2020 race. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Lisa. Thank you. Have a nice day.
Up next, Stephanie speaks with Scott Tobias about the Dueling Fire Festival Ooh. documentaries. Stay tuned. I'll fill you in. I know you've been. <laughs> oh, off I've been oh, you've been following I am, this one. Oh man, fire with fire, baby. <laughs> Tyler Coates tweeted, The competing Firefest movies from Netflix and Hulu make me feel so blessed to be experiencing another deep impact slash Armageddon cultural moment, but this time for documentaries about douchebags and botched music festivals. It's true. What a time to be alive. We are truly blessed, and we are also blessed because we have Scott Tobias, a freelance film and television writer who joins me now to unpack all of the drama behind these competing documentaries. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good. I couldn't be happier to be talking about this. So you wrote a piece for The Ringer called Firefight, the inside story of how we got two warring fire festival documentaries in the same week. So first of all, obviously the Hulu documentary already came out. What did audiences learn from Hulu's documentary that we didn't know before when we just saw this whole thing unfold on social media? Um, well, I mean, I think I think we're getting a um, just a deeper sense of of how the whole scam came together. I mean, I think what what we learned on social media was what situation attendees you know, got the, what, what, what people saw when they got to the Bahamas and had an experience that was far different from what they expected. Um, and it was very funny and, uh, there were a lot of memes and, uh, and I think both films, both the Hulu film and the Netflix film are trying to give, give you a deep, deep background on how this catastrophe came together. And then the, and the scam artist behind it, whose name is uh, Billy McFarland. So let's talk about these two films. What are the big differences between the two? Well, um, the the big difference, so a couple of things. We one, one, I think the, the Hulu film is a little more wide-reaching and editorial in nature. It 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 uh, there's a lot of commentary about millennial culture, about uh, about scam scam artists, about uh, social media. Um, the Netflix documentary, I would say, is a little more straightforward. Uh, so that's one difference. But then the, the the major difference is that the Hulu documentary has McFarland himself as an, an interview subject, and the Netflix documentary does not. And that's kind of one of the um, places where this ethical fight has sort of broken out. Yeah, it really has kind of devolved into this fight between these two streaming companies, which I find very interesting and funny to watch because you know, like the Hulu documentary is under fire, and correct me if I'm wrong, because they are pay they paid McFarland to be a part of it. So some people are like, that's not ethical. But then Jerry Media, aka Fuck Jerry, was involved in the Netflix documentary and in the Fire Festival. So people are calling that unethical. Do you know any of the other drama that's going on between these two? I mean, that's basically it. I mean, you have, um, you know, as you said, the, the Hulu documentary did pay uh, Billy McFarland uh, for uh, licensed footage and also for an interview. And uh, and Jerry Media and Matt, Produ uh, Matt Projects, who were two companies involved in the marketing for the festival itself, were uh, did partner with Netflix on that documentary. So there, there is a conflict. I mean, in both cases... I think it was really just about having access to materials. I mean, you, they're both, these are documentaries. They need to have m materials. And so they both made certain choices um, about, uh, and uh, they both, 
you know, take issue with the other's choice. And that's kind of where things got a little bit heated. I, I feel, uh, you know, it started with Chris Smith, uh, the director of the Netflix documentary, uh, talking about not paying McFarlane because here is somebody who perpetuated a scam. And, and the Netflix doc is really about how uh, all the people who who worked in good faith to put on the festival and who were deeply hurt um, by um, this betrayal, and and so so to pay McFarland for the, for them was a bridge too far. And then on the Hulu side, um, you know they feel like that um, that that Jerry Media was, you know, knowing it knew that the festival was not going to be what the festival uh, promised to be. And, and that they were culpable in um, this experience as well. And so, uh, and so that's, that's where you, you have this conflict. I mean, uh, apart from the fact that, you know, they just want eyes on one and, or the other. So uh, it's interesting. And, and I think it's, it's good, useful for um, viewers to know what they're getting into. And, and to, to, it's nice to actually have all this information out there uh, so people can kind of look at both films in that context. I think that basically, yeah, there's shoddy ethics on both parts, but at the end of the day, they both just want people to watch their movie, not the other. But I guess lucky for them, I'm going to watch both. I'm sure plenty of people are going to watch both. Scott, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this. No problem. Thanks so much. Okay, Twitter, I want to take it to the timeline. What internet scam do you think deserves two documentaries? Anna Delvey is my answer. Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. And up next, Isaac is sitting down with comedian Pete Holmes. Welcome back. I'm joined by comedian Pete Holmes, who's also the star and creator of Crashing on HBO. Welcome. <laughs> I was surprised I'm here. Yeah, you, not I, that I'm here. I'm happy to be here. But when you when the camera cut to me, I was like, oh, I'm on the show. You're like, oh, look, that's me. It's me. It's us. We're back. Well, you're feeling a little under the weather, right? I am. We've been talking about this on the show. But I today. don't. I think you're a bull of a man. You think I'm gonna and be you're okay? You're gonna be fine. Do you have a go-to? Like, do you have something that a you, remedy? Yeah, that you like to. Well, we were talking about Vicks Vapo Rub. Uh huh. And as a but kid, I, never, I didn't mess with the Vapo Rub. Uh huh. Is there anything you do like soup? Any go-to? Um. Not really. I'm just kind of suffering through it. I think I got it from my baby. Oh, no. I don't know how my baby got it. She smokes cigarettes, but I don't know how she got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I really got, got the cold from my baby. So this is an L.A. cold from uh -huh. an infant. But my, that you brought to New yeah, York? Yeah, I imported how it. How dare you, I just sir. wanted to mix it up in uh, Manhattan. Well, here it is. You're doing all the shows, because season three is coming That's out. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing it with sickness, so we're glad you made it in. Really appreciate it. It's my honor. Let's my take pleasure. a look. We got a little clip here from season three, which oh. is premiering soon. News. John Mulaney wants you to open for him. Are you fucking with me? Nope. He asked for you by name. John Mulaney. John Mulaney. Asked for me. Mm-hmm. By name? Yep. How did... We've met one time? He, he must have seen me or something, right? That's the thing about this business, Peter. You never know what's lurking around the next corner. Most of the time, it's a punch in the gut. Sometimes it's a treasure chest. 
My man, you're looking very healthy in there. I you felt look, so much better so on that virile. day. You look good. So virile and so, warm on the inside. You got John Mulaney as a co-star. Yes. You got Amy Schumer guest starring. Yep. You got Ray Romano. Yeah. Did, you have, <laughs> did you have a favorite one? Um, well, what am I going to do now, you <laughs> son of a bitch? <laughs> I, well, Mulaney and I have been friends for over 10 years, so the fact that we're on a show together is, is a huge thrill. And we get to show John being an asshole, mm -hmm. which is how I know know him. Is that his true self? No, He's a very no, dark man, no. actually. I mean, everybody has different sides, and John would be the first to tell you that, of course, offstage, he, he might be a little bit more biting. I find it hilarious. Uh -huh. That's like the funniest stuff. Uh -huh. So when we could write a fictional version of John that's kind of like that bite, it's, it's, it's my opinion, it's like one of the best Mulaney's you can get. It's fun to watch him play against type. You've also got Jabuki Young White in the mix, yes. which is so exciting. Yeah. What's it like to work with him? Jabuki's amazing. We wanted to. We wrote a script about me going and doing a college tour, mm -hmm. and then they sometimes when you do colleges, they'll have like one of the students open for you. Mm -hmm. And Judd and I, Judd Apatow is one of the producers. We thought it would be so funny if I see a really amazing college comedian. I think he's incredible, mm -hmm. and then I bring him to New York, and then everybody loves him and hates <laughs> and doesn't like me as much. And he and like he leapfrogs exactly. You. And if you're gonna do that, stand up is one of the hardest things to show on TV. Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna have a young amazing stand-up you have to get a young amazing stand-up like I suppose you could script it and get an actor or whatever but we were like we need someone who just has that X factor that thing where you're like oh wow we're seeing this guy five years before he's a superstar and that's that's Jabuki he's incredible because he's killing it which he's is killing it. well and then he got the Daily Show right I mean after crashing so it's literally happening. He owes me. He owes you big time. You get a percent of the paycheck. That's. I mean, why does my manager? I'm That's doing what my manager does for him. That's right. Why is it pro bono? You're when basically I do it? trying to become Jabuki Young White's manager. That's it's what a I'm. Good <laughs> career step. It's a good career step. I like it. I like it. Uh, but the comedy tour stuff really got me, man. Yeah. Like, do you have fond memories? Because you've you literally paid your dues. You've done this. Did, do you have any fond memories of your college tours in real life? I do. There's something cozy. There's like a very snowed in feeling when you only have one thing to do during the day. <laughs> so like I, I, when I first started touring, I was like, it's so lonely, it's so isolated. And then other comedians grac graciously would be like, no, you need to love it. You need to think of the good things. You need to be like, I'm gonna go in this Holiday Inn Express and there's gonna be clean towels. <laughs> there's gonna be an ice machine. A soap in a plastic I mean, it, yes. Seinfeld had the bit where he'd pretend his muscles are huge, that the soap was regular size. And it, it, these are the thoughts that comedians come up with to make travel not lonely, mm. but it works. Our brains are stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is why advertising works. So you can sell yourself the road lifestyle, and I actually do miss it. You, you only have one thing to do. Is that, is that what you miss? Show. Do you feel like you're really busy now, and, and with you miss being on the road because even though it's all these cruddy hotels, it's just one thing to do? I guess I appreciate both. I like being busy, but I also can appreciate the, like I said, it's like a snow day. Mm. It's just like, you wake up at like 11 a.m. and you're like, I don't have to be anywhere for nine hours. And that's like a, that's a feeling not a lot of people get. So I like to enjoy it, watch a third of The Hobbit, and then I have to go to the show. <laughs> Especially as a new parent. Listen, another part of the, 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 the season though, it's all about the clubs and the village and that. Yeah. There's even a joke about this a little bit, how the comedy cellar allows Louis C.K. to keep coming on stage. Is there a joke about that? There's, a, there's just like, hey, we're getting all the overflow at the Boston oh, Comedy. Yes. Remember that? That's true. Do you think do you think that's the right call on the person running the uh, comedy cellar to, 
to let Louis C.K. kind of keep coming to the stage? I mean, I don't, I don't know all the, the factors at play. I, I certainly do sympathize with the people that don't like it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that so many comedians take the stance of like, if you're offended, go fuck yourself. When I'm like, are we so out of touch mm. with, with empathy and with the idea of, I, I offend myself sometimes with my own thoughts, <laughs> sometimes with my own comedy. Sometimes people are like, I had a joke on my last question, they were like, that's offensive. And I'm like, I totally get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, take a second to put your agenda aside uh -huh. and step into somebody else. I can also step into the, the club's shoes and be like, I see that. Mm -hmm. I can step into all sorts of different shoes and understand. Kind of but I don't like when people are like, I don't get it. It's my way and I want to make you me. Yeah, yeah. I see them. If you don't like it, I totally get that. You, and it's a complicated thing for that You totally reason. understand that. What do you think, what do you think, bookers, agents, people running uh, comedy clubs, uh, comedians, uh, what can men do to kind of support women as this all plays out? I mean, it's always so simple. Mm. Treat people like you want to be treated. Don't be a dick. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we do explore that on this season of Crashing. There's an episode that the press keeps calling the Me Too episode, mm -hmm. which is about how it is different. Allie Reeson, played by Jamie Lee, who's my ex-girlfriend in the third season, mm -hmm. she does a club, and, and there's these like subtle little ways that women are treated differently. Mm -hmm. Even just from calling them like a very lovely comedian, like you never would say a very handsome comedian. Like, so we're, we're starting to become more, our, our instruments mm -hmm. are becoming more sensitive. We can pick up on these micro things where mm -hmm. we're like, oh, why, why does she get picked up, brought up as like beautiful right. when that's irrelevant for a man? And why is it okay for you, a club manager, which happens on our show, to tell a female, I've seen this a million times, more energy, like right. more smiling. They just right. want, they're just like, can you be prettier and mm -hmm. sexier? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. no one's ever said that to me. They say, Pete, stop eating nachos. You have to be on stage in two seconds. <laughs> like that's the only kind of comment I've got. So this is what I'm saying. Like it's interesting to, to deal with these, these subtleties. And yeah. I think a lot of people go like, don't be so sensitive. It's, it's fine for a woman, just do your job. It's like, no, it's, it's a beautiful thing to, to finely tune our instruments, to consider what it might be like for other people, and then to evolve. And to evolve. That's and to what change. we yeah. To grow. That's what it's that, about. That is a beautiful sentiment. What are we sentiment. doing? It's a beautiful sentiment. But don't think I didn't notice that you basically just tried to ask me to compliment you. So Pete Holmes looking very <laughs> handsome today. Don't think I didn't. didn't I, I, I say you before I you we were fishing. rolling, I said, you're not going to get my cold because you're a barrel-chested bull of a man, I You did. I you get And I'm giving it right back yes, to you. Yes, look at you. You I look like you're going to sell that. me some sort of hair cream from the 50s. <laughs> I mean, I do want to talk to you about that right? afterwards. You look like I, you have a switchblade comb and could fight a bear and Win. I actually, all right, let's not get into the switchblade comb. I'm trying, I'm trying to leave it at home. Here's the thing though, I do, the other thing, like you've got the village, you've got the comedy, you also, your character's getting into the Christian comedy scene a bit, yeah. and you also have uh, a history of that. Is there yeah. anything that mainstream comedy can learn from the Christian comedy scene? That's an interesting question. I don't know, I think what the Christian comedy scene, as I experience it, is doing is, is wondering and projecting what an audience might want to see, very much like going to Disneyland. I love going to Disneyland, it's fun, <laughs> it's safe, it's easy, and, and they're kind of like, well, could we do a Disney version of comedy mm -hmm. that kids can come to and people of faith can come to that might be a little bit more easily offended or, 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 or maybe even more importantly, want to hear about things from a different perspective. Mm. So when I said to Judd, I was like, I wanted, we want to do Christian comedy, I think that's an interesting thing, because on Crashing, we always want to show 
a style or a world or a niche of comedy that people might not even know exists. And the religious market is one of those worlds. So I do a temple show, I do a Christian show, and then Judd loved the idea. In fact, he might have been involved in coming up with it, I might be misremembering, but he was like, and it should be great. Like, I think you hear that a comedy show is gonna like do a Christian show, we're gonna just and be making gonna be fun miserable. of it. Uh -huh. Everybody's just gonna be like, no, make sure you say the Lord's name. Right. Some baloney. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do that. It can be wonderful, but, yeah. but the interesting thing for my character is there are limits on what you can say. So you go into this sort of like paradisical world, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And you're having a great time and you're making good money, but then they're like, and this is real stuff. Yeah. I one time got in trouble when I did a Christian show for saying SOB, which isn't a swear, it's an acronym representing a swear. Just the phrase SOB. I mean, and it was in wow. question whether or not I'd get paid for the show because uh. you weren't supposed to swear. Uh -huh. And I was riffing. Uh -huh. I saw someone in the crowd that I knew, I went, oh, look at you, you old SOB. And the crowd went ice cold. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a long way from the West Village. You man. lost the room. <laughs> I noticed just while you were talking, because you weren't sure if you could swear uh, on the yes. show, you said, instead of bullshit, you said baloney. Oh, you we can. can. You can swear. Bullshit, here. I it's love okay. swearing. And now you know when I bring up swearing, that's when I like to talk to somebody about their child. Oh, so that's so yeah. you're a fucking dad now. I'm you're, a fucking dad. It's really, man. it's really good. Is your daughter a good audience? She's is, a wonderful audience. Does she laugh at you? Do you want to see a video of it? I, I don't. I don't think you got to show me that afterwards. Okay, I'm gonna email it to all of you. I appreciate that. But she but laughs. She'll at laugh. You. She's just getting to the point where she can recognize me. Uh huh. And which. This is so boring. Nobody gives a shit about your kids. I give a shit about your kid. Isaac, you're a gentleman. This is the internet. I give a shit about your kid. Tell the Nobody story. Nobody fucking cares about it. That's lesson one. Tell the she story. She will laugh. Tell but the she story. likes fresh material, Isaac. She likes the new stuff. So I'll go. You're like a baby. Look at and your she, And she's boy. like, I saw that laugh. shit last no, week. No, she'll laugh real hard. Uh -huh. And then the next day I'll go. And she's like. Get some new stuff. Yeah, I need some fresh material, Dad. Get some new stuff. I thought you were a professional. I thought you brought a new thing I to bring the out the keys. every day. She's like, you're a hack. Yeah, and get out of here. Prop <laughs> comedy, that's bullshit. Get the guitar. Does she have the chops? Does she make you laugh? She makes me laugh all the time. Yeah? She makes me laugh just because she forgets anything. If you're there, she has no object permanence. <laughs> you know, so she sees you. This is her. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And then she's like. And then she gets surprised by you again. <laughs> That was a great impression of a baby. I don't I know do. if you're doing that on the road, but that is some good stuff right there. Are I think you the kind of material. Pete, thank you. I want to see you in the Street Fighter level where you have to break barrels. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, level? yeah, the, with, the, with the chest hair. I'm calling the, you Zangief. You basically. want me in a red Speedo. I get what's going on. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. The new season of Crashing premieres on HBO January 20th. Be sure to check it That's out. That's this Sunday. Thank you so much. People don't know dates. I don't oh, want to get you sick. Oh, thank you for not getting me sick. I don't want to. That's this Sunday. Check it out. Thanks, guys. Here's a tweet from the iconic Jackie Harry. Uh, I've been bowing down to Regina King since 1985. Glad y'all finally caught up. That's my baby. I feel like that's how she would say it. That's my baby. I love Jackie Harry. All right, that's just one of the many reasons why Regina King is our Woman Crush Wednesday today. We love her. Um, here to help me celebrate the true king of Hollywood is Michael Blackman, reporter for BuzzFeed News. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How it's are so you? good to see you. I love this. So yesterday was Regina. Regina King's 48th birthday, shout out to her goddess status. 
Can you just run run us through just some of the many accomplishments she's had already? Jeez, um, she's already got like a Critics' Choice Award. Mm -hmm. She just won like the Golden Globe Award, which obviously some people say like may mean that she will be in contention for uh, Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Oh, okay. So it's like those are two of the big awards she okay. has. But we've like been watching her career flourish for like the past. 20 plus years, yeah. you know, like yeah. starting on 227, uh, being in uh, Ray mm -hmm. alongside Jamie Foxx, right. uh, Jerry Maguire, all these films. Uh -huh. and it's just also, like, shout out to her being <laughs> the voices of both brothers on the Boondocks. I know. Which, if you love the cartoon, Aaron McGruder's cartoon, she's the boys. That's it just her. speaks to like her versatility as yeah. an actress. Like, she is one of the greats, but I feel like she's been someone who's just so underrated. Also, yes. she won an Emmy. Like, yeah. she has so many things. I I'm feel just like, like in, my, in my mind, and I know this isn't totally accurate, <laughs> but my memory of like every recent award show, I feel like she's had a win. Yeah. I, she deserves more, but she's killing it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like something, you know, I think of um, uh, the, the the Left Behinds. The, the Leftovers. The Leftovers, yeah. like her supporting role. Jerry Maguire, I feel like she's very good yes. at the supporting actress role. Right. Why is, is there a skill? Is there a quality she brings to that? I feel like for me, like, She's just so mesmerizing, but I feel like she takes these roles and she adds like, they, they could be ordinary roles for anyone else, but she adds like a twist. So it's like, mm -hmm. for example, I think of Ray and it's like she's playing um, the other woman and that role can usually just be kind of one right. note, but it's just like she makes you feel this woman's pain. Like you're also thinking of like Kerry Washington too, but you're just like, whoa, but like what about her? And then like even in Jerry Maguire, it's just like she's like the supportive wife, but she's not just that. It's mm -hmm. like she has just as much a stake in this as like her husband right. to like support like their family so it's like she's just she's so compelling on like another level I feel like she just elevates the things that she does like even when you get into her being a director right. like I feel like She's just incredible. She, like I watched really her uh, work recently with Greenleaf, like a mm. show I recently binge watched. I love um, it's, so good. it's a great show. It's so great. Um, <laughs> and uh, even with Insecure yep. uh, last year, like the mm -hmm. fall finale, like she's yeah. just she's an icon. Like and, I know the words overused, yeah. but yeah, truly. And, and to that point, I mean, and I love this at the Golden Globe, she pledged that all of the projects she produces will have fifty percent women. And you were already talking about her work behind the camera. Um, has that pledge already started to have an impact? Um, as far as I know, she said that like upcoming projects she mm -hmm. would be doing that, but I don't know right now if mm -hmm. she has if that has like any effect right now, okay. you know. But it's so, just like yeah. it seems like just like a great yeah. model for for actresses. Like it's, we're seeing her thrive in front of the camera, yeah. and it's like exciting to see that behind the camera she's also like, uh, uh, I'm gonna have the shine yeah. going on too. Exactly. I also wanted to talk about, of course, we have to bear Jenkins um, if Bill Street could talk because everyone's talking about. It. I still haven't gotten to see it yet. Oh my gosh. I know. It's I know. So great. But the trailer makes me cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tear up just seeing her talk to her. I guess it's her daughter in, in, in the trailer. Yeah. So she's speaking to like her daughter Tish and. And that's like uh, that's like another another example of like just one of her many layered roles mm -hmm. because she's playing like this mother and she's mm -hmm. dealing with like a pregnant daughter, which is already like a kind of uh, difficult situation right. to uh, to to contend with. Right. Um, so you, you see her dealing with that, but then also like she's trying to uh, get her daughter's boyfriend out of prison to like exonerate him because he's been accused of like raping this woman. So it's just like, she touches on like, these many levels of like, you have this woman who's trying to protect her daughter, but then she also is trying to free like this black man who she feels has been wrongly accused. But like, she's also has like this interesting, interesting relationship with the woman who is accusing him of rape because it's like, 
she knows that something has been done to this woman because like she just has experiences like a black woman in mm. America. So it's just like hitting on like these different All of these facets. Very it's very complex. And yeah. I feel like you just see the complexity like in her face mm-hmm. within this role. And mm-hmm. it's just like I really just want her to win the Oscar so that I will have like another black woman Oscar winner to like mock in my room. (laughs) And also maybe that's something else as I think about all of these characters, she seems to pick very good character. She's making yeah. very good decisions in terms of roles. And I'm excited about this. Of course, she was recently on BuzzFeed News' show, Profile. Shout mm-hmm. out to Profile. Um, and Regina said that this year, quote, she's finally playing a superhero. So is that about Watchmen? Is she on that? Yes. So she's going to be in okay. HBO's uh, Watchmen, which is like an adaptation of the Damon mm-hmm. uh, Lindelof, Lindelof um book series, mm-hmm. like a graphic novel. Like there was a movie that came out 10 years ago yeah. and it was like, there was mixed reviews about it. Yeah, I remember it. watching um, it. And, yeah. yeah, but it's <laughs> essentially like this um, alternate universe where mm-hmm. superheroes are essentially like outcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it seems a little like X-Men-y mm-hmm. to me, but like there's like a pretty good cast. Like there's Louis Gossett Jr. who is also an okay. Oscar winner. Okay. Um, there's Jeremy Irons who's going to be in it. I don't know what their roles are specifically. Yeah, so we don't know necessarily no. who she will be. Like we know that it'll be like an hour-long sort of series. Okay. And that's, well, I'm ex- yeah, listen. details have yet to The opportunity to see Regina King <laughs> kick somebody's butt is pretty exciting. I know. <laughs> I cannot I cannot wait. Yeah, right, I'm watching for her. <laughs> we're, we're here for it. Well, Michael, as always, thanks for joining me for yeah. the Kiki. Um, up next, Isaac and I are going to respond to a few more of your tweets, but keep talking about Regina King because we just love her. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. We asked for your best cold remedies. You bum tweeted, a dose of garlic, one minced bulb spooned up and thrown back, not chewed, with a glass of orange juice. That's one of those things. Sometimes people come with like such a specific uh-huh. and gross sounding remedy that I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to work. try that. It has I'm going to work. try that. How are, now, how are you doing? Are you Because you've been fighting off. Let me tell you. I'm worried that we're just going to sw- reverse and like switch And cult. just keep keep yeah. doing doing this. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, it was very nice. Pete, I like went in for the handshake mm-hmm. and he just gave me the bump. And I was like, what's this about? And then I was like, oh, right, he's sick. So I'm hoping I don't catch his L.A. sickness. I think, I think I've, whatever you've got, I've probably already got in me. So there's nothing to be done there. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> Patience, Sarah. All right, well, Sarah tweeted her. Wow, y'all do have, like, very elaborate. Bourbon, cayenne, lemon, ginger, and honey under piping hot water. Sarah. I'm going to try all of these at once. <laughs> We're going to make a segment of it. We're going to line them all up, and I'm going to do them all, and we'll see if I get sick or not. I'm just like, Dayquil, uh, Theraflu, Sudafed. No, you got to get into these home remedies. Throw in a couple of Tylenol. Oh, man, your grandfather's teeth ground up. and you got to get into the weird stuff. We asked, what do you think will finally end the government shutdown? Individual 69 says, TSA workers walking out and nobody being able to travel. I, that feels real. I am wondering, it does feel like we're approaching a point where some group, some union, some people begin to strike. Maybe the air traffic controllers. Mm-hmm. I know they like have a union, I believe. Because it, it, I, I don't know, asking people to work for three weeks without pay, and a lot of these jobs are very air traffic controllers. Like their entire like movies based on how stressful mm-hmm. that job is. Like that's a lot to ask of people anyway. Right? Everyone should be compensated for their work period. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised we're still here. I'm just glad I don't have any travel coming up. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, thank you to all our guests today, Alex Spence. I think Alex Spence. I was cracking all those jokes. 
British people are like stone cold. Anyway, <laughs> Paul McLeod, Lysandra Villa, Scott Tobias, Stephanie McNeil, Pete Holmes, who was coming for my gig. Those two had wonderful chemistry. I was like, what the fuck is this? We had Get fun. Get that guy out of the studio. Too charming. And Michael Blackman. Thank you all. Absolutely. <laughs> we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. We'll see if Saeed makes it. Have a great rest of your day. Could go and either please way. Please do stay healthy. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs>